records don't lie, but your ancestors might. Welcome to The Criminal Genealogist, where true crime and genealogy intersect. Hello, my criminal genies. I'm your host, Michelle Bates, and you have reached the Criminal Genealogist podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for all the links to my sources, as well as links to my social media where you can follow us. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, share the podcast with all of your friends, and go ahead and download the episode too, because it helps us get a little bit higher rankings. Now let's get started. Today's case was inspired by an episode of Kindred Spirits, which is a show hosted by Amy Bruni and Adam Barry on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus. It follows them as they investigate homes and buildings that are suspected of being haunted. Now, while this isn't a paranormal podcast, this story captured me because of the history and the people involved in the story. What I love about their show is the history and the research that they do on the property, the building and the land, as well as history of the area. Now, I know that they do this on all these types of shows, but I feel like they do a really good job of telling somebody's story. As a professional genealogist, I thrive on the history and the details from these shows and wanted to jump in and do my own research. So in this episode from season three, episode five, they visited the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, located in Jefferson County. The original sanatorium opened in 1910 as a two-story hospital to accommodate 40 to 50 tuberculosis patients. The outbreak in the area required the need for new buildings to be constructed. So small wood buildings were built over the years, but the need for constant repair and more room for patients prompted the construction of the current building. Construction started in March of 1924 and was completed and opened on October 17, 1926. The building is five stories tall, 180,000 square feet, with 500 beds, and over the years, it housed thousands of patients. After the discovery of an antibiotic to fight TB in 1943, the cases started to dwindle, and in 1961, Waverly Hills closed its doors. Any remaining patients were transferred to a smaller facility to continue treatments. The building was reopened in 1962 as Woodhaven Geriatric Center and closed by the state in 1982. I believe that when it was Waverly Hills, it also housed mental patients, but I found one source that stated that the top floor of Waverly was for the mentally disabled patients, but I couldn't find any other corroborating evidence. Today, it serves as a tourist attraction for paranormal investigators. During the episode of Kindred Spirits, they discover a story about a patient named John T. Mitchell. As they told a story based on their research, it was stated that John's wife, Lucille, was killed by a man that she, quote, had taken up with in September of 1946. The man, Charles Chester Curitan, was ultimately acquitted of manslaughter. The article they quoted stated that John had been at Waverly Hills for the last three years for TB treatment and that he had to go back for more treatments. 
so he would have to ask the state to care for his seven children. He was allegedly in room 424 where the paranormal action was occurring. They also stated that John died in 1959 of TB and implied that he died there at Waverly Hills. So here's what my research found. I think the most important thing to clarify and clear up is that Lucille Mitchell was not, quote, taking up with another man in the sense that she was cheating on her husband. She had actually filed for divorce in January of that same year, 1946, from her husband, John Mitchell. The case number was 292784, according to a local newspaper, the Courier Journal, and their issue dated January 16, 1946, in the section that listed different suits that were filed with the court. Now, we don't know the circumstances of their life, so we can't speculate, but they were separated and in the process of a divorce. I am sure with seven children and him in Waverly Hills, it made it hard for the process to get completed. Another piece that was implied about him dying at Waverly Hills is not factual. Now, they didn't outright say that, but they kind of implied it. At least that's how I took that, but more on that later. Before I get into the genealogy of this family, let's talk about what happened to Lucille Mitchell in the early morning hours of September 14, 1946. According to the newspaper article from the Courier-Journal in Louisville, Kentucky, Mrs. had gone out that night with Mrs. Elsie Young, and they arrived home around 2.30 in the morning. Now, Mrs. Young was staying the night with Mrs. Mitchell, so she was there whenever Charles Curitan came knocking on the door shortly after they arrived home. He asked Mrs. Mitchell to come out with him, which she did. The friend recalled that he had said his name was Bill. Another woman living in the home, Mrs. Ruth Sands, said that Charles had come to the house earlier in the evening looking for Mrs. Mitchell. And when he found out that she wasn't there, he actually asked Mrs. Sands out. She politely declined. Mrs. Sands told the police that Mr. Cure hit Mrs. Mitchell on the arm. The police did confirm that she had bruising on her arm, as indicated. Mr. Curitan was arrested for manslaughter the next day and said that he and Mrs. Mitchell were coming home around 3.45 a.m. from a cafe and that he slapped her with the palm of his hand. He stated that she later fell but appeared to be okay, so he left her on the lawn and went home. He said that he had been dating Mrs. Mitchell for the last six months. So Lucille was found by her neighbor, Mrs. Sadie Rankins, in Mrs. Rankins' front yard. She had told police that she heard an argument and some groans outside her window sometime after 3 a.m. Mr. Curitan denied that there was any argument. So I'm going to insert my personal opinion here, just based on this research, that if you slap somebody with your palm or however you slap them and they fell to the ground, you were clearly having an argument. So why you would even tell the police that is beyond me after you just told them that you slapped her. But I digress. So the article also also states that Mrs. Mitchell was living with five of her children at the time of her death, ranging from 18 years old, which was a married daughter, to 10 years old. Now, her two youngest children, ages five and seven at the time, 
were living with grandparents. We don't know if they were her parents or John's parents. So just for reference, the address that Mrs. Mitchell was living at at the time of her death was also the same one that she lived in with Mrs. Mr. Mitchell based on city directories from the previous years. This information is important later. It also stated that John told them that he has been at Waverly Hills Sanatorium for the treatments for the last three years. Another article states that he told them he had to go back for treatment. So it's unclear if he was just home because Lucille had been killed or if he had been back home prior. It also states, um, he also stated that he would have to ask the state to care for his children as they indicated on the show. The manslaughter case did go to trial after the grand jury indicted Charles Curitan in October of 1946. And in December of 1946, a jury acquitted Mr. Curitan of manslaughter. Unfortunately, those were all the details of the trial that I could find online. I'm still hoping to get the case file from Jefferson County, but I did not have it prior to recording this episode. It's one of the tough things about doing research in other areas where you're not located especially during this given time that we're in right now with COVID is that really researching online is the only option because even if I knew somebody in Louisville that could maybe go to the courthouse, they may not be open right now. Um, Any archives in the area repositories are probably not open to the public. So you got to do what you got to do, but some, we need to understand that just because it's not online doesn't mean a record doesn't exist. That's the key. So for this podcast, I'm going to focus on Lucille and John because, I, you know, the criminal in this case was acquitted. And honestly, I think the story of Lucille and John is, is more interesting. However, I did want to add that I did do a little research on Mr. Curitan. He went on to get married several times after his acquittal, and he was married previously And I found at least five or six times that he had been married, at least three ending in divorce and two in death. Interestingly, he was married October 11th, 1946, just a month after Mrs. Mitchell's death and the month that he was acquitted, or I'm sorry, the month that he was indicted for her, her death. So he's been dating her for six months, but then he gets married a month after her death. So obviously a little little suspicious there. But get this, his wife's surname was Mattingly. And while that's important is because the current owners of the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, that's their surname. And they actually had family that was treated at Waverly Hills for TB. So it makes me curious. I wonder if they're related somehow, but what are the odds? So back to Charles. He had a son the next August of 1947 with his new wife. He had three sons, two with her and one from her previous marriage. This is according to his obituary and that they all survived him. He died in 1991 at the age of 73 while living in Florida with his fifth or sixth wife, Norma, from whom he had just married a few years prior in March of 1989. And apparently his nickname was Bill, as the witness had stated, he had called himself the night that he took Lucille out. 
which makes more sense now. He was a retired truck driver and he served in the army in World War II. I did find that in 1956, he was charged in a hit and run where a six-year-old boy was hit. Charles said that he didn't realize he had hit anything. I don't have any further details on the outcome of what happened. I do believe that the child survived. He was just in, and he wasn't in like critical condition, uh, which is good. But my assumption is that Charles didn't serve any time for this. Yeah, we could definitely do Charles in his own episode because there's a lot going on in his life. But on to the genealogy of the Mitchells. So John Tandy Mitchell was born April 28, 1904 in Carroll County, Kentucky, to James Luther Mitchell. Though in the 1920 census, his father is listed as Robert, which is a little odd. And his mother was Daisy Mae Tilly. Love that name. He was one of six kids, having three sisters and two brothers. Lucille Hyacin Kane was born August 3rd, 1912, and I'm sure I totally butchered her middle name. She was born in Bradenburg, Meade County, Kentucky, to William R. Kane and Lillian Bessie Prather. She had two younger siblings, Mildred and Robert, and a half-brother, James Curl. Lucille's dad died in 1918 when she was six years old and her siblings were four and one. Her mom remarried Ben Curl three years later in 1921. And we know that Lucille died in 1946 and on her death certificate, it states that she had a cerebral hemorrhage, likely from either a blow to the head or when she, when she fell, she probably hit her head. John and Lucille were married on June 4th, 1927 in Indiana, just over the state line from where they lived in Louisville, Kentucky. It states that John was 23 and the marriage record also states that she is 17. But her being 17 would indicate that she was born in 1910. And the marriage record actually did say she was born that year. But that doesn't add up to the other that say that she was born in 1912, which is according to vital records and census records. So she would have been 15. Now there are lots of reasons why people lie on their marriage license. One, she might have not been old enough to be married in Kentucky in 1926 or 1927 when they got married. So she might've lied. Her parents maybe weren't consenting to it. So she had to just say she was older. Or it could have just been a mistake. Maybe she said 1912 or and they wrote down the wrong date. You just never know. Just because it's an official document doesn't mean the information is correct. So John and Lucille had seven children, born from 1928 to 1941. Their oldest daughter, Lily May, their oldest son, James William. And then they had Robert Tandy, Alma Jean, Melvin D., Barbara Rose, and John Keith. Now, John, he was the baby of the family, and he actually just died a couple months ago in April of 2021. And his obituary states that he was survived by one brother, Melvin D. Mitchell. And as I stated previously, we know that Lucille filed for divorce in January of 1946. Now, it's possible that the case was closed and they decided not to get divorced, or it might just be that they just never got to it because he was at Waverly Hills. After Lucille's death, it was assumed that the children either went to state care or with family, but it may have been more likely that they lived with their dad. Yes, he stated that he had to go back to Waverly Hills for treatment, but 
it was 1946 and the antibiotic to treat TB had been out for three years by then. So my guess is, is that he was treated, but he was able to come back home. Remember the address where Lucille was living at the time of her death, 2413 Columbia in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, John T. Mitchell is living at that same address after Lucille's death. So the children didn't ever leave the home would be the assumption here because their father is living at that address, right? And it's that the same house that Lucille and John lived in together. And there aren't any records online to indicate that the children ever went to state care or were put into guardianship. Now it's possible their grandparents may have watched them while their father was getting treatment, but until we can go to the courthouse and start digging through records to see if there were anything, since there wasn't anything online, we don't really have the hundred percent answer on that. But we do know that John was in the house after her death and that he lived there for at least the next three years. So gives us a good indication that his children actually got to stay with him. So John did remarry in 1949 to Laura Buckman. And again, like I said, his address on the marriage license is listed as that 2413 Columbia in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, after the marriage, he did move and resided at Laura's home. They were married 10 years before he died at the age of 55 in 1959. His cause of death? Cerebral hemorrhage, just like Lucille, but obviously his was not caused in the same way. Well, at least not that we know of. And that certificate does also state that he had active tuberculosis and he had active duodenal ulcer, which I had to Google that. And now I don't remember what it was. His wife, Laura was the informant on his death certificate and stated that he had been ill for a week prior to his death. And he was actually in the SS Mary and Elizabeth hospital, not Waverly Hills. And this hospital is still a hospital today in Louisville. So like they said on the show that, well, that it was implied or I took it that way that he died at Waverly Hills. He did not. Now, he did have active TB, but clearly he'd been treated for it and could be around other people. So he was no longer infectious. You know, perhaps the TB was the cause of his cerebral hemorrhage. And who knows what kind of damage TB did on his body all those years. But, you know, we'll not know. Now, his obituary states that he was an Okolono cobbler. And you're probably asking, what the heck is an Okolono? Well, Okolono is a location in Kentucky, and hopefully I'm saying it right. And it's, like I said, it's where he lived. It's basically a suburb in Louisville. The cobbler part, for those who don't know, means that he was a shoe repairman, and he owned his own shoe shop. He was survived by his father, his seven children, and five siblings along with his stepchildren and 22 grandchildren. I initially decided to pursue this story because I wanted to go to Waverly Hills and I wanted to talk to John's spirit to give John peace and let him know how his kids did after Lucille's death. But ultimately, I discovered that he probably never had to be away from his kids and that him and his kids appeared to have survived the tragedy, but also they had fulfilling lives. The death of your mom at such a young age is not something you ever forget, 
and I can only imagine the pain the whole situation brought to them. Hopefully the remaining child and all the descendants of those children only have good stories of their grandmother, even though they never got the chance to meet her. Until next time, keep finding those skeletons in your family tree.